Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our morning service. Whether you're here in the building or you're watching online, it's uh, great to, to have you with us. Particularly warm welcome to anybody who's new here or visiting this morning. It's great to have you with us as well. Well, today, I'm sure you're aware, is our Global Mission Sunday. I'm very pleased to have uh, James Paul, who is the Executive Director of Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, with us this morning. Um, as you may know, LCBC has had many years of uh, a relationship with Wycliffe. We've supported missionaries uh, uh, for, many, for a long time in all parts of the world. Uh, we still have Stephen Matilda working for them and Mark Andrews and John, John Billet, of course, works for, for Wycliffe as well. Well, this morning, um, James will be preaching as well as giving a presentation on the work of, of Wycliffe. Um, but he'll also be doing a seminar this morning, uh, this evening. So if you want to come back this evening, you'll be finding out a bit more about the needs of the world and how we can pray for them, a bit more about w- what Wycliffe are doing. So that'll be a great chance. Um, if you want me to do everything this morning, he's preaching this morning, but come back this evening and there'll be a greater chance to find out a bit more and pray together. That's just six o'clock here in the church. Well, as we start our time together, last time, I'm sure many of us witnessed the crowning of the new queen of tennis, Emma Raducanu, maybe looking a bit bleary-eyed as a result. But this morning, we're here to worship the, the real king, the one who's worthy of all of our worship, because he purchased our salvation with his blood, as it says in Revelation 5, which James will be preaching from later. And they sang... A new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you are slain. And with your blood you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Jesus was the only one worthy to break the seals and open the scroll of heaven because he lived a perfect life. He died and rose again for our sakes so that we could be saved, so we could become your children. Thank you that we belong to your family, your church, which comprises people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And thank you that you're continuing to to build your church today as the good news of Jesus is proclaimed throughout the world. So we pray this morning that you would open our eyes to see Jesus in all his glory, the one who has the power to save, and that you would give us a greater desire to serve him through proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask James to come up now and just share a little bit about um, Wycliffe. Um, as I said before, he's the executive director of Wycliffe Bible Translators, based in Oxford, where you live with your wife Caroline and four children, is it? That's right. At last count. Um, <laughs> so, James, how long have you been working for, for Wycliffe? So, I've been with Wycliffe for seven years, and um, uh, it's just such a, a joy, actually, during that time, to get to know something of this church's connections and support with Wycliffe over many, many years, right back to when you're running minibus services for, for our people on our, on our site that, that we, we no longer have, but to, to be able to come here, and as Neil, as you mentioned earlier, as uh, various staff members and, and others connected here, so, so thank you. Brilliant. And um, what did you do before you joined Wycliffe? So actually, previously, I was a church leader of, of a church in, in Cambridge, um, working uh, cross-culturally with people from around the world uh, who, who 
were studying there. Uh, and, and before that, uh, with, with my wife, we were missionaries in another organization uh, out in Kenya, training church leaders. Um, so that's my sort of background and route through. Brilliant. And what was it uh, that made you decide to join Wycliffe? How did you end up uh, there, other than obviously God leading you there? But, uh... Yeah, so... Um, I think I just assumed that the Bible was available to everyone and that when we think about world mission, um, we're thinking about taking the gospel to people and, and planting churches and that churches start to grow and those churches in turn plant churches. And I had that idea in my head, you know, as biblical idea and model of, of world mission. And I don't think I'd ever quite stopped to think, how would you do that if the Bible wasn't available to you in, in your language? If the Bible's only in a, in a foreign or colonial sort of language, uh, how do you do that? And I discovered that one in five people worldwide still are waiting for the Bible in their language. And that actually, if we're concerned for world mission, actually one of the, the sort of basic sort of no-brainer parts of world mission is just make sure the Bibles are available so that local Christians can get on with the work themselves and, and, and support. So I joined Wycliffe really not so much in terms of leaving church ministry, but, but carrying on a, a, a Bible uh, ministry that I was in previously uh, and now continuing to do that uh, and, and serve God's church in a different way. Brilliant. Well, I'll hand over to you, James, and let you share a bit more. That's what you want to do with Wycliffe. Yeah, well, we're going to show um, a, a video about some of the work of, of Wycliffe. Actually, later on, um, we'll give you a, um, on the way out, you can, you can take a, a leaflet, which has actually got information about what's happening around the world, um, different languages, different things going on. And so that's, that's free for you to take away um, uh, later on if you'd like to know more. Um, but rather than me speaking so much about uh, Wycliffe, one of the big changes that's happening, of course, in World Mission is we sometimes have in our head, it's about Westerners going and, and taking the gospel. And often what we stopped, haven't stopped to think about is the rise of the global church. Actually, it's the local people typically who are doing the work. So today what I wanted to do was actually have some Ugandans come and talk about what they are doing and talk about Bible translation from their perspective. We could listen to that. Uh, we couldn't do that, so we've got a video um, of some Ugandans speaking about what it is. And, and children, you might really find this quite interesting to watch and, and learn from Christians in another part of the world and what they're involved in. Let's play the video. Being a pastor of a church when you don't have a Bible in your language, it has been very difficult. My workers will see that these scriptures get into the hearts of the people. It was hard to convince people to start the Bible. But when they are using their, their language, hmm? it makes uh, a difference. The Bible changes lives. But if people can't understand it, it can't get into their hearts as God intended. Yet when people have the Bible in their language, lives are changed and churches grow as people come to know Jesus, as the people speaking the Lugwere and Lunyole languages of Uganda have discovered. <laughs> The people in my church are changing now since we began using the Bible in Indunyoli. I'm saying the word of God transforming people's lives. Things are going to be a lot different for my grandchildren. I think the understanding of God will be better than me. All over the world, in thousands of languages, God's word is changing lives. Dans un pays voisin, j'ai réalisé que quand les gens ont la parole de Dieu dans leur propre langue, l'effet est différent. Et moi, je voulais ça aussi pour mon peuple. Gamoina, 
ከገባ በኋላ እኔ ለመማር ለማስተማር ለመዘመር ውስጥ በጣም ደስተኝ ነው እኔ ለምሳሌ እሱ ከመጣ በኋላ ጎሞኛው ከመጣ በኋላ እኔ ውስጡ ገብቼ ሲያይ ወደ ተጨለማ ወደ ብርሃን ወጥቻለሁ ብዬ ነው የሚያስበው ላሉ ምረቃው መንባጨ ፊርማንድ አላም በሐሰ ምረቃ መረከስናን ዳን መረከና መረከ መንገርቲ አባ ያን ዲካታካን አልኪታብ ከፋራ መረካ ላታዲሽን ኢትልማ ኢምፖርታን ፓስ ኪ ጂቪ ኮሙኒኪ ፉር ቱ ለ ፒፕላ ሱ ላ ቴር ኢ ጂቪ ኮሙኒኪ አሻክቱ ዳን ሳፕሮፕ ላንግ ዳትስ ዋይ ኢትሩ ዘ ሱፖርቲቭ ቸርቺስ ኢን ክርስቲያንስ ፍሮም አክሮስ ዘ ዩኬ ኤንድ አይላንድ ዊክሊፍ ባይብል ትራንስሌተርስ ኢዝ ዎርኪንግ ዊዝ ሰች ፓሽን ኤንድ ኡርጀንሲ ኢን ኦቨር 70 ካንትሪስ ዊዝ ኦቨር 350 ላንጉጄስ ዘት አር ስፖከን ባይ ኦቨር 470 ሚሊዮን ፒፕል ጋድ ዋንትስ ቱ ኮሙኒኬት ዊዝ ኢች ኦፍ ዚስ ፒፕል ቱሩ ሂዝ ዎርድ ሶ ዘት ማኒ ዊል ኮም ቱ ኖ ጂሱስ an increasing number of the languages what clip is working in are in the most difficult to access areas of the world for the gospel all of these names have been changed to protect the people involved in one of these countries someone we're calling ibrahim works to translate the bible into a language spoken by millions of people most of whom have never heard the gospel he says people have the right to know what god says How will my people know that God loves them if they do not have the message in their language? We're not meant to live without the words of life in the Bible. But one in five people worldwide still don't yet have the Bible in the language they know best. That's not right. Wycliffe exists so that the word of God will reach the whole of the world. and that the good news about Jesus will transform people's lives. And the main way in which God communicates with us is through the Bible. We need to get the Bible available in every language so that everyone in the world has the opportunity to read it and to discover the person of Jesus. The Bible's central to ministry. I bought into the myth that the job was done. 1.5 billion people, one in five people, without a bible in their own language getting the bible into people's languages is an essential part of world mission and this work depends on your prayers and your giving funding plays a critical role in the work of bible translation paul mathias edo ibrahim and all the other bible translators working around the world with such dedication so that their people can come to know jesus can only do what they do because of the support of people like you please become a vital part of this worldwide translation team through praying and giving thank you for the finances for the prayers don't have enough words to express my gratitude may the lord bless you Thank you. So we saw there, we're starting Uganda, took you around the world and ended back in Uganda. And actually some of the things that are on that video happened because of the support of this church in the past and some of those languages that were appearing in different parts of the world. Uh, some of that work is ongoing thanks to your support. Now I just thought I might ask some of the children, having seen that video, I wonder if any of the children can tell me, why does the Bible matter? Why does the Bible matter? I'm going to run over here, I should have got a funny mic. 
Um, the Bible matters to us and then we can learn about God and we can get to know him better. So we can, brilliant answer, we can learn about God and get to know him better. Could any of the adults answer that better? I don't think you could. I don't think you could. The Bible matters so we can learn about God. So when we think about Bible translation, we might tend to think of nerdy people interested in languages, doing some specialist tasks with languages. But that's not what it's about. When we think about Bible translation, we're thinking about people knowing Jesus, about coming to know Jesus for the first time, about, about growing in faith and, and knowledge and love of, of, of Jesus. Now, um, I wonder if any of the other children uh, or, or want to try and guess how many languages there are in the world. How many languages? Just shout out. Just shout out, actually. Adults, you can shout out too. I'll give you a higher or lower, shall I? Make it easier. So just shout a number. 1,200. Higher. 5,000. Higher. Sorry? More than, more than 5,000? Less than 10,000? 7,400 languages in the world, roughly, that are actively spoken today. Uh, around 400 of those would be sign languages, which are, are real languages, and, and around 7,000 other languages. Okay, so um, if there's around seven, let's say round numbers, 7,000 languages in the world... How many do you think have a Bible available? Yeah? Go on, just, what do you reckon? 700. 700, spot on. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> wow, what good answers we're getting today from the children. Better than those from the adults, I'm noticing. Now, uh, around 700 languages have the, have the Bible available. Another, roughly through the work of Wycliffe um, and, and our partner organizations and, and a few others, roughly another uh, 1,500 round numbers uh, have a New Testament available. What that means is that... Um, um, 80% of the world's population actually have a Bible because those 700, some of them are major languages like English and French and Arabic and, 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 and so on. Uh, and, and the large numbers come to smaller things. But you might start to think, well, those small languages, those, pe- those, those don't matter. But languages matter because people matter. We, we, we're not an organization that cares about languages so much as an organization that loves people, the people who God loves. And so we still focus on those languages. We're currently in the period where... Um, 80% of people have a Bible, therefore. 90% of people even have a New Testament. And we think that looking at what God is doing around the world, looking at the greater progress which is happening, more progress happening today than at any other point in history, that it is possible, uh, if we all give a bit of a push on this, to get to 95% with a Bible in the next 15 years and to get to 99.95% with a New Testament over that sort of time scale. So I look forward to getting me back in 15 years. You get me back before then and, uh, and be able to ask these same questions for the children and to see an answer that because of the prayer support of churches like this and, and the giving and, and the faithful sacrifices that so many are making, we can actually stand up and say God's word is now available to all people in the language and to see what God does in terms of church growth over that period. Hand back to Neil. Thanks very much, James. Well, as we've heard, we can support that work by giving and, and praying, and we're going to include that in our prayers uh, shortly. 
We're going to continue to pray in a minute after the children have left. Steve Smith's going to lead us in our prayers. And then after that, another one, a member of our missionary committee, Phil Davis, will lead us in the reading, which is from Revelation chapter 5. But over to, to Steve. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence with humble hearts, acknowledging that you alone are God, creator of the universe, the one who holds it together. We thank you that uh, because of Jesus, that lamb who was slain, we read about, we are among those from every tribe and language that can come into your presence and worship you. We thank you that as a church, we can be part of what you are doing on the earth, here in Long Crendon and in other parts of the world. Thank you for the work of Wycliffe in making your message known to people in a language that speaks to their heart. Thank you that despite the restrictions and upheavals due to COVID, translation work is continuing. We pray that many will come to know Jesus through the translations that have been completed even during this past year. And we know that many are working in the face of opposition, persecution, and even in some cases in fear for their very lives. And we pray for your wisdom and your protection for them in a sense of your presence and your care. I want to remember specifically Renee and Simone and their work with the IL people. Thank you that they're able to do that from Europe for IL people who are living there. And we pray for uh, the meeting coming up in the next few weeks for in-person consultant checking of translated scripture. Give them your wisdom, your discernment, that that translation will be done well. Thank you also for the work in Asia that Matoli and I are part of, for the Bart New Testament that has just come off the press. We pray that it will get into the hands of those who need it and will be a blessing to that community. And we pray for your wisdom and energy as we work with two other language teams in the coming weeks, preparing for typesetting and publishing in those languages. We pray for Tenabu, who's in the air right now on his way back to Senegal. Give him safe travel. Help him in all the preparations that he'll be making for Bethan and the family to follow next month. Keep them in all, all your care during this time of separation. We thank you for each of our students who are heading to university this week. Help them to settle in well, particularly those for whom this is their first year. Help them to make good friendships, find good churches where they can fellowship and grow. And we think of Sophie starting training at Cape and Ray this Saturday. Pray that it will be a time of growth and learning for her. We thank you now for this time that we have together. And we bring you our worship, our praise, in the name of Jesus, that Lamb who was slain for us. Amen. Uh, the reading this morning is uh, Revelation chapter 5. It's Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? 
that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Well, let's pray, shall we? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Father, we ask that Jesus will be honoured amongst us now as we consider his plan for our lives. Amen. Well, it is really great to be here today. Uh, Thank you for reading the whole chapter. I'm actually just going to focus on just one verse today, uh, verse 9. Uh, verse 9 is at the heart of the chapter and is, I think, the key which helps make sense of, of life today. Uh, this, this passage is a glimpse into heaven. And in heaven, what is being said about Jesus is, verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You are worthy. Jesus is worthy. It says he's worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. What's that about? Why does that matter? Well, The chapter started with God himself holding a scroll in his hand, and and it turns out, if you read on in Revelation, that this scroll is God's master plan for history. Uh, God has plans for this world. He, He made this world for a purpose, and he didn't intend that it should last forever. No, he gave the world a beginning, and he has planned for it an end. And because this world is in something of a mess, his master plan is to sort it out once and for all. It's a plan to crush all that is evil, all that spoils, and to remake this world once again. But there's a problem. You see, because verse 1 said that this scroll was, was sealed with seven seals. That is, it was all locked up. 
God's master plan for history couldn't be actioned. It couldn't be opened. I mean, it's like, I don't know if you've had this in the summer. Maybe you're planning to go overseas for holiday or, or some of you got relatives, yeah, even now maybe in America and, and you plan. But, but these plans are all frozen. The, the, the travel restrictions stop them and you have these intentions, but, but nothing can happen. Everything is on hold and, until the COVID ends. Now, if that's of some of you with holiday plans or, or trying to see family overseas, that, that's, that's frustrating. It's, 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 it's annoying. But when we're talking about God's plans for history being put on hold, well, that's a disaster. So John, who, who's having this vision, he weeps. Verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or, or to look inside. It's a disaster because... Unless that scroll can be opened somehow, God's plans will not take place. And unless God's sovereign plans are put into action, well, then all history becomes meaningless or all life becomes devoid of purpose. Without God achieving what he wants, there'll be no happy ending for any of us. Only terror will await. No wonder John weeps. But then... Wait a moment, verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Verse 7, he went and took the scroll, verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Jesus is the only one who can open up the scroll. That is, he alone is the only one who can reveal the eternal destiny that God has planned for the world. But why? Why is the future of the world and the future of each of our lives effectively in his hands? Well, verse 9 tells us why. It, it is because, uh, two reasons actually, because firstly, Jesus' death brings urgently needed salvation. Verse 9, they say about Jesus, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. The death of Jesus on a cross is being talked about in heaven, being, being celebrated in heaven because, what's the reason given here? You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood, that is by giving your life, by dying on a cross, you purchased for God persons. That The death of Jesus purchased people. It ransomed them out of captivity. And it says he purchased people for God. It's a reminder that no matter uh, human beings here, but by nature, we're not God's people. No matter how polite we are, no matter how good we try to be, we are by nature trapped by the power of sin. And without Jesus, we're held captive, whether we like it or not, and we cannot escape. And so there is no way that God can go ahead with all his plans for world history because if he did, he'd have to come in judgment upon us and none of us would survive. But God has a heart of love. We sang about it earlier, didn't we? That's not what he wants. He made the world. He loves the world. Hey, you, he loves you. That's what we're singing. He's not some sort of vengeful tyrant out to destroy the world. No, what he wants is to make all things new. So whilst people are held captive to sin, his plans have to be put on hold. The scroll must be sealed shut. But now, wonderfully, amazingly, 
The death of Jesus has ransomed people for God. Jesus' death brings salvation for all who put their trust in him. We're purchased for God so that that no longer in captivity we have a new owner, a new status as the people belonging to God himself. And that is why Jesus can set history going once again. Because God plans to surround himself with people for all eternity Yet without Jesus, it'd have no people because we'd rejected him. But in Jesus, through Jesus, we can be saved. So now God's plans for the end of the world can now come into play. That scroll can now be opened. And we can be sure that God will now bring history to its final conclusion. To that point where evil is punished and his people get to reign in a new world in his presence. Because this world is a messy place, um, and we, we all go through hard times, you know, sooner or later. No vaccine is going to end that. But now, because of Jesus, there is meaning. Now, because of Jesus, there is purpose. Now, there is, because of Jesus, there is value and significance to each of our lives. And for many of us, life will not be easy. But now that the scroll has been opened, we can be sure that we will one day reach that destination. That what God has planned for the whole world will certainly come to pass. Indeed, it's that knowledge which keeps us from living inward, sort of self-centered, inward-looking lives. And and gives us a whole new perspective on life in this world. I mean, if if you know how the world ends... Doesn't that make you look at Long Crendon differently and tame and all the villages that that, that you're from? Doesn't that shine a whole new light on the needs of the UK, of the world? Jesus purchased us for God. That means not only that individually our individual futures are safe, that believers in Jesus are secure, it means that All of God's plans for the entire world are now moving forward to their completion and that the day when this world is no more, that day will be here soon with all its eternal consequences. Now, we haven't really reached the best part of verse 9 yet, so let let me show you that. At the end of verse 9, it says of Jesus that with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And the emphasis here is on the word every. This verse isn't so much about who Jesus purchased as about where he purchased them from. Jesus' death brings salvation, reaching the whole world. Jesus, that's the second reason here that, this, that Jesus has this pivotal reason, the pivotal role in bringing about God's eternal plans because of the global reach of what he accomplished. Jesus purchased for God people from every tribe in the world, from every language group in the world, from every people group in the world, from every nation of the world. Uh, too often I think we forget this verse. Yet when at the end of Matthew's gospel, for those who know it, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And we, we tend to think all nations, well, there's, there's what, like 190 something countries in the world, something like that. But it's just missing the point. The, the, the word translated in English as nations isn't talking about the, the modern nation state that we have today. Really it means people group. And there's a lot more people groups than there are countries, like like thousands more. 
And that intent of Jesus is made very clear here in Revelation, where it says in verse 9 that Jesus purchased for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. I mean, think about that verse. What, 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 do, you, what do you understand from that verse when you think about it? Because I see there over 7,000 languages of, of which fewer than 10% have a Bible. Uh, over a billion people who do not have the Bible available in their language. I, I find it shocking. I mean, it still shocks me after years in my role that almost 200 million people alive today don't even have a single verse available in their language. Not even John 3.16. And so I come across a verse like this in my Bible. I see that God's plans for this world are bigger than ours. And we all still have some catching up to do. I mean, what do you think about when you, when you come across that sort of verse? I hope you get the point that, that Jesus was only permitted to, to open that scroll, mapping out God's plans for the world. He was only worthy to do it because he had redeemed people out of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. On the cross, Jesus ransomed people from all corners of the world, from communities right across the globe. And that is why God's master plan for the whole history of the world could be unlocked, because of the global extent of salvation. And if you add all this together, you see that God's uh, eternal plan has always been for people from every tribe, language, people and nation to be brought into his presence. And that that is the shape and direction of all world history. God's people are to be a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual family. People of all different races, all cultures, all languages, people from every caste and every social class, all brought together by Jesus for God. And, and friends, I, I must point out to you this morning that if that is God's plan for world history, it should also be our plans for our lives and for our church. I mean, it's the fool who, who makes their own plans for their life and tries to make them happen regardless of what God might be doing. And the, the, the wise person fits their life within God's plan. We, we, we first try to understand what is God's agenda and then we make his agenda our agenda. We would be so much happier if we just did this. We would save ourselves so much grief. And when we come to consider God's agenda, we must not forget that in the various things we could say, it is clear that his concern is global. Jesus sent us to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, because he had first redeemed from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. World mission is not something for a few keen Christians. You know, there's always, in any church, there's always a few people who like that sort of thing. Now, God himself has a heart for world mission, and all godly people will share his concern. Jesus gave his life to get people of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation back to God for eternity. Can I ask, what are you giving your life for today? Don't waste your life pursuing the things of this world. If Christ gave his life for you, give your life, expend your life, pour out your life, use up your life pursuing the things that matter most to him. 
How many years do you have left alive in this world? What are you going to use your time for? How much wealth will you leave behind you when you die? What could you have used it for? The gospel has not yet reached enough people. It has not yet even reached enough people groups. And it will not do so without the Bible being made available and people being raised up to proclaim this good news. And this work is ongoing and we need to take care that we keep it fixed in our minds as the greatest challenge facing this generation. Perhaps I could ask who who are the the tribes and peoples kind of round here in, in this sort of region who are currently unreached. Because I know often uh, in the UK, Bible-believing Christians have a habit of, of reaching their friendship networks, but no more than that. Sometimes we need to work harder at breaking out of, of the, the middle-class sort of communities that we know best to make sure that we are also reaching people of all walks of life and the long-standing immigrant communities with different religions. I wonder whether, as a church, you've, you've, you've ever stopped to consider the spiritual needs of Europe, for example. How many Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, evangelical Christians are there in Europe? Well, in Germany, 2.1% of the population. In Belgium, 1.2%. Italy, 1.1%. In France, 1.0%. The Czech Republic is just 0.7%, a figure so low it is comparable to a Muslim country like the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, 0.6%. Greece is 0.4%. Poland, 0.3%. And those of you here from those countries will know this, but the rest of us need to pay more attention. The biggest problem facing Europe today is not covid but that there are too few workers for the harvest field. There are people in communities across this country and this continent who Jesus died for, but who are waiting to hear about it. And that's before we even mention the tremendous need for the gospel all over the world. Globally, it's thought that over 85% of all Hindus, Muslims and Buddhists do not know a Christian Asia has a population of three and a half billion people. Only 13% even know a Christian. 3.1 billion people do not. And the fundamental issue, of course, is that when one in five of the world's population don't even have a Bible available in their language, this is not just something that affects only sort of the remote tribes. I mean, in large parts of the Islamic world, there is no church growth because there are no Bibles available. I mean, how, how could you lead someone to Christ? They had a Bible they could understand. You'd at least want a, a Luke's Gospel or something, wouldn't you? Minimal. Uh, how can you establish a church that plants other churches that is built and founded and growing in God's Word if they do not have full access to it? So we see that Jesus is building a global church which encompasses believers of every tribe, language, people and nation and the Bibles are being translated, the gospel is being proclaimed but what part are we going to play in that great task? What will our lives achieve? What will this church's contribution be? 
Well, I mean, instinctively you say to me, James, this is far too hard. You're bamboozling me with all these great big numbers. What can, what can a little church like this do against such overwhelming numbers? But I, I want to suggest the other way around. It's actually very simple. And that if each of you were to prioritize it collectively, you could have tremendous impact. You know that anyone who uh, believes the gospel is qualified to share the gospel? Have you thought about that? If you believe the gospel, you're, you're qualified to share it. The only requirement needed actually to share it with new people is to make sure that you're with new people who... who, who um, you're not just with Christians all the time. All that is needed is for a few Christians to go and live amongst others uh, and share this good news and for others to pray for them and to provide the funding for them and their organizations to keep on going. Sometimes that is, is Westerners going to other parts of the world. Sometimes that is Westerners helping to fund local people. You know, a missionary from India going to work in another part of India but requiring funding uh, from here. It comes down to people like us who understand that Jesus' salvation is not just for people like us, but that it reaches globally, that it must be taken globally to every tribe, language, people, and nation. That's what the early Christians understood. Just read the book of Acts. And that's what we're about at Wycliffe Bible Translators, because when we translate the Bible for people, we're trying to accelerate evangelism and discipleship in those communities. And with the Bible available, people can find out about Jesus and churches can grow. With the Bible available, other mission organizations can do their work more effectively. That's what they say to me. James, we can't do our work until you've done yours. But no mission organization can do anything without people. It takes people to go and do it and invest their lives in it, both from the West and locally around the world, as we saw in the video earlier. It takes people who will stay behind and give and invest their money in it, especially from the West. And it takes people who will pray. Prayer makes it happen. So I wonder if everyone in the church here is connected to a mission partner and to a mission organization. If we share God's concern for world mission, it will mean praying for the work. And one of the simplest ways to do that is to pray for one of the church's mission partners, um, who the World Mission Committee are recommending to you, and to use a prayer diary from a good mission organization. If you pick up our leaflet afterwards, um, there's a prayer diary in from us, uh, which I can recommend to you. But, you know, other good mission organizations are available. Um, but the thing is to pray, because when we pray, we're taking part. Prayer is real partnership. It will also inevitably mean financial support for the work. The task of world mission is tremendously expensive, and typically those who traveled overseas uh, depend entirely on what God gives them through the giving of those in their home churches. And those who sort of stay and are set aside by churches locally to, to work maybe remotely, um, again, the giving of those in their home churches. Uh, and those sorts of people we saw in the video earlier who can be set aside by the home churches rely on giving of Christians in the UK to, to fund their ministries. And mission organizations depend on the giving of individual Christians. I, I, no one else is going to fund this work if the Christians and churches don't. So, so if our plans for our lives revolve around ourselves and what we want to do, we, we will always prefer, won't we, to keep our giving to a minimum. But if we're seeking to align our lives with God's master plan, then we want to ensure that at least some of our money, some of our giving, is being used to reach every tribe, language, people, and nation. So we pray for this work. 
and we pay for this work. And as a church together, we seek to send workers. Friends, it's a a good time to identify as we come out of COVID and all the upheaval that has been, it's a good time to start identifying who else can go. Because I've spoken to Christians in many different countries now and have asked them what help, if any, they need from the UK. They're looking for funding for their workers, but they're still looking for us to send more people. And if such people don't come from a church like this one, where else are they going to come from? Pray that God would make this church a centre from which mission workers are sent out into different parts of the UK, of Europe and of the world. Um, people sometimes have in their mind that that's classically you know, someone in their 20s. Well, we do need and take people in their 20s, but we have roles available for people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. You know, Wycliffe, we don't just need linguists that you might think of. We're calling out for godly people who can use their professional skills in IT or management or accounting to play their part in this urgent task that is fundamental to the growth of churches worldwide. And many of those roles can even be done from home on Zoom. Is that, is that, but is that scary when I talk about these things? Does, does the thought of stepping out to do something new scare you? Would you just be frightened to leave friends and family to go to that point where the Christian help is most needed? Does your bank balance feel threatened by the idea of funding world mission? Is these things I'm saying, are they just too big a risk? But what have we just been talking about? The scroll has been opened by Jesus. We can be sure that history is on track. We're the ones who know how the world is going to end. All God's master plan for the whole world is now moving forward to its final completion. The really scary thing would be to let that pass you by. If we take risks for Jesus, we have not risked anything He himself said that it was those who wouldn't risk anything for him. They are the ones who will lose it all. So as Christians, our future is secure. The scroll has been opened. God's master plan is in progress. We are safe. We are secure for all eternity. Nothing can ultimately hurt us or harm us. So therefore, we are free. We are free to to make God's agenda our agenda, to get on with the task of making Jesus known, not looking in at ourselves all the time and our own needs, but looking out at a world in which there are people who God is calling to himself, some from every tribe and language and people and nation who are waiting, waiting for someone to share the good news with them that they might hear and believe. Shall we pray that God would use us to play a part in achieving this. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus and his great salvation. Please open our hearts and minds more and more to realize the wonderful work that Jesus has done and direct our lives so that we're more aligned with your plans for this world. Father, please use us to call those Jesus has purchased for you from every tribe, language, people and nation here in Long Crendon and surrounding areas, here in this nation and all around the world. And Father, we ask that you would raise up some amongst us from this church to be a next generation of mission workers who will not cling to their lives, 
but who will gladly give up careers and comfort for the sake of the billions who are lost, who are waiting to hear the good news. And alongside them, would you raise up many others today who will commit to funding this work and to praying for it. In Jesus' great and glorious name, we ask these things. Amen. Well, thank you very much, uh, James, for your ministry to us this morning. I hope you've all been encouraged um, that uh, Christ has paid your ransom. The scroll has been opened. We know how it will end. And therefore, we're encouraged. We're encouraged to go, encouraged to pray, and encouraged to give. I do hope you'll, you'll take that on board and uh, maybe spend some time just at the end of this service now praying into that. Maybe pray with somebody else or pray on your own. What is God saying to you in the way you can uh, reach this, this world that is so needy and needs Jesus Christ? There will be refreshments after the service, a chance to catch up with James. Um, uh, but come back this evening as well and hear more about the needs of this world and how we can reach out and help this world in need and pray for that. Just in terms of refreshments, so the way it's going to operate is um, they will be served to you in the back hall, but then don't hang around. Uh, let's try to avoid congregating too much. Grab your coffee, come out, spill outside, and enjoy the, the, the lovely weather while we can um, in the concourse as well. Let's close with the Great Commission, which is a commission to, to all of us. It's a commission to go, but it's also a commission that we do it in God's strength. Let me close with these words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen.